The message today feels like to me, fifth verse, same as the first. And it seems to be a situation with God's people, that God's people always seem to put their faith in circumstances rather than God. And if the circumstances aren't good, then we ask ourselves the question, well, where is God? We've been going through the book of Exodus, which again, as I say, the theme is that God keeps His promises. His people cried out to Him as they were in slavery, and He sent a deliverer. And when things went bad, they started to gripe about the delivery. Then after seeing 10 different signs and wonders of God, God freed them in haste. And he led them to a particular place, again by God's leading, where to the front of them was the Red Sea, to behind them was the Egyptian army, and to the sides, mountains. And again they cried out, And complaining. And God told Moses, what are you doing? Go forward. And he separated the waters. And they walked across the dry land. And the Egyptian army was then drowned by the closing of that Red Sea. Only to have them go a little ways. And they were short of water, need of water, and the place they went had bitter water. And again they cried out, Was it not better we die in Egypt than here? And again God responds. And then God, when, after they cry out, provides for them food by bread and meat. Again, not remembering all of these times when God has delivered them from these circumstances while God has been leading them, we come to another passage of bad circumstances. Now, I want to remind us of a couple of things. One, we oftentimes see ourselves in these people, unfortunately. And then what we try to do is kind of excuse them by saying, well, you know, we don't know how long it's been, and so it could have been a long time, and so... You know, memory is short, and maybe they just didn't recall. This incident is less than two months after they left Egypt. How do I know that it's less than two months after they left Egypt? Because 50 days after they left Egypt, the law was given. It was called Pentecost, which the Jews celebrate even to this day. And we as believers celebrate because the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost, 50 days after first fruits. And so they've seen all of those circumstances and God delivering in all of those circumstances, and yet the circumstances did not create faith in them. So we're going to take a look again in another circumstance. So we're going to take a look again at Exodus chapter 17. We're going to start with verse 1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin 
according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now again, I want you to notice something. They are there camping at the place that they're camping that has no water, not by accident, not by happenstance, but because God led them. So when God leads you somewhere, God is going to demonstrate exactly who he is. So instead of worrying about the circumstances, say, now is an opportunity for God to show his power. As opposed to saying, oh my goodness, the circumstances are bad. Say, no, my goodness, God is going to show me something. But again, they're there because God led them. Just like he led them in front of the Red Sea, just like he led them at Meribah, just like he led them all over the place. Again, the point was, God, if he can separate waters, if God can turn bitter waters into sweet water, maybe he can just make water appear. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Now, I love this. First, they quarrel with Moses. Moses is only leading his people because God is leading his people. And how do they know that God is leading his people? Because there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud by night. Moses is just going in the direction God has led them. But they quarrel with Moses, which in essence is quarreling with God. Now, I suspect Moses didn't have a sparkless water truck. So how is Moses going to give them water? Again, the people have got the blame and the looking at the wrong direction. Instead of looking to Moses for relief, they should be looking to God for relief. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirst there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Okay, they have this circumstance. They have a real need. They're thirsty. But notice how they always want to go back. Now, I know the good old days were the good old days. But the good old days weren't the good old days. They had just the same problems in the old days as we have in the new days. We just tend to forget them. Have they forgotten that they were slaves? Have they forgotten that they had to work harder by making the same number of bricks without straw? Don't they remember that they, Pharaoh cast their male children into the Nile? But we want to go back to the good old days, for the protection of our children, which weren't being protected. So verse 4, so Moses cried out to the Lord. At least Moses has the right direction. Because Moses knows one thing. He can't fix it. It's beyond his power. And the sooner we get the idea that we can't fix it, it's beyond our power, the sooner we go to the Lord. Because let's face it, this is how we are. We're presented with a circumstance. We try to fix it. It gets worse or it doesn't change. 
So we talk about it to somebody else who we think they might be able to fix it, and they can't fix it. They just charge us a lot of money. And it doesn't get fixed. So we try to ignore it. So we do whatever we do to try to ignore it, and it doesn't get any better. And finally, when all other options fail, we say, hey, God, maybe you can fix it. This advice is for free. Go to the Lord first. You'll save a lot of time and anguish. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. God, I have followed you because this is where you've led. The people are crying out, but they're blaming me. But I'm your representative, so therefore they're blaming you. What are we going to do? Again, this is where God, His loving kindness is everlasting to everlasting. Because as I've said, this is at least the fifth verse, which has been the same as the first. And so I would have been way irritated by now. But notice what God does. Then the Lord said to Moses, Let's go back to Egypt. Let's answer the people's prayer. Their prayer request is, let's go back to Egypt. So God said, okay, that's your prayer request. Go back to Egypt. Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want him to because he's going to demonstrate who he is. And if he answers your prayer request, he's going to be little piddly God as opposed to the great awesome God that he is. So no, he doesn't say to go back to Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. So God said, I want you to assemble these elders because I want them to see because we've got a large group of people. Maybe everybody doesn't have an excellent view. So I want the elders to see what's going on so that they can then tell the people in the back rows, which are all the Baptists, in the back rows, what might be happening? Maybe if you sat in the front rows, it would be easier. You wouldn't need elders to tell you what's happening. Just saying. So take your, that staff, you know, the one that I've turned into a snake, the one that I've turned the Nile into the blood, the one that, that you raised up over the Red Sea and part of the waters, that one, I want you to take that in your hand. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. God is going to do something very unique and specific. He's saying, I want you to take your staff, but I, I'm going to stand on this rock. A very special appearance. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Now, I don't care how big this rock is. And I don't care if there was a little vein in the rock that had a little trickle of water in it. You don't satisfy the thirst of 600,000 men and a bunch of livestock with a vein of water in a rock. It's a miraculous happening because God is there. And God is doing something here that we won't see again in this book those of you who have been doing the study by skipping through numbers, 
I've seen the second instance of this. But God tells Moses to strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? What a stupid question. Is the Lord among us or not? He only delivered us out of Egypt. He only carried us across the Red Sea. He's only provided water for us by changing it into sweet water. He's only provided bread and meat. He's only led us by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's constantly been there all the time. But when we get confused in our circumstances, we say the same thing. Well, is God with me? And the scripture says that he never leaves us or forsakes us. Nothing separates us from the love of God, not even our idiot selves. Now, I'm preaching this really strong because I'm pointing three fingers back at me, okay? I understand. I'm preaching to me as well as to you and whoever's happening to be listening now and in the future. Stop getting through your head that God's presence and blessings depend on your situation and the circumstance. Again, maybe the circumstance is there to just show you how awesome God is. So instead of saying, God, are you here? Say, God, what are you going to do? At least a better answer would be, God, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. But instead they ask, is God with us or not? Now I told you that this was a unique situation. Paul tells us how unique this situation was. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. That is why many days from now, when, we, when you look at the book of Numbers, and you see that they're in a similar situation where they're thirsty, and instead of saying, well, we remember when God did these things, and God will do them again, they were there ready to stone Moses again. And Moses was so upset, God gave him a different instruction. God told him, I want you to go to this rock, and I want you to speak to this rock. But Moses, because of his irritation and frustration with the people, didn't take the word of God seriously, didn't sanctify it, didn't treat it as holy. So he went and he struck the rock again. He violated God's instructions because God was trying to show us something, that that rock was Christ, and Christ would be simply struck once. And after that, you just had to speak to him. But because Moses didn't take God's word seriously, didn't sanctify it, didn't treat it as holy, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. He got to see it on a mountain from a distance. So the second thing we need to understand is when we are in difficult circumstances, 
do exactly what God tells you to do. Don't create your own options. Do what God has told you to do. Going back to Exodus, starting with verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, and this is Joshua's first mention in, in the Scriptures. Now I'm going to throw you out a little nugget of interest. Joshua is the English kind of version of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is the Hebrew version of the Greek word Jesus. Joshua is there. He's going to be the successor to Moses. But we're going to see him first as one who delivers his people. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men from us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Notice that Moses uses the staff when he performs these signs or miracles. The staff is not a sorcerer's little wand. It's simply a symbol that says that God is the one doing. Moses just happens to be there. Which is a really good thing for pastors and evangelists and other people in Christian ministry to remember. It is God who does things, not the pastor, not the minister, not the evangelist. It is the Holy Spirit who draws people to Christ. It's not the great words of the pastor. People respond to Jesus in your ministry, not because you're so high and mighty and wonderful and holy. It's because God has chosen to use you to demonstrate who he is. So Moses is going to take this staff, not because it has magical powers, and he's going to go up on this hill with it on his hand. Verse 10 says, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. Notice, again, Joshua does what Moses tells him. He doesn't say, well, I have a better plan. Well, let's scout out. He does what Moses tells him. Because I suspect Moses told Joshua because God told Moses. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he laid, let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Ur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were stretched until sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, if you read the commentaries or whatever, oftentimes people interpret this as the hands up being in prayer. That's possible. It doesn't say why. It's also possible that just Moses was told, you hold your hands up. As long as you hold your hands up, I'm going to demonstrate my power by, by being victorious. But if you drop them, you're not going to be so because I want you to understand that it's me who fights for you. 
And yes, you could be praying, and that's wonderful, and we ought to. But hands lifted up are also for a couple other reasons. For those of you who are not interested in sports, pick a, pick a sport and watch the crowd. When your team scores or some team scores, everybody raises their hands and gets excited. People will raise their hands because they're excited, which is one of the reasons why nobody raises their hands in our church, because nobody ever gets excited. <laughs> Second, there's another reason people raise their hands. I surrender. I give up. I also think it's quite possible, as in addition to prayer, it's Moses saying, God, it is up to you. The battle belongs to you. And I and the people of Israel will see that the battle is the Lord's. Because as long as the staff is up and my hands are up, we win. So they win. Now, verse 14 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalekit from under the heaven. Now, when you read this, you go, hmm, that's kind of strong. Deuteronomy gives us a little hint why. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 through 19, it says this, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt. How he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary. And he did not fear God. God takes this attack on his people seriously. Because first, Amalek doesn't fear him. So God's going to demonstrate who he is. And second, the way they do it, they don't go out and say, okay, we're going to fight you. They attack the weak and the faint and the weary. The ones who least can defend themselves is the one who they attack. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess it. You shall blot out the memory of Amalekic from under heaven. You must not forget. It's interesting. I'm going to wipe them out so that no one remembers, but you're going to remember that I wiped them out because they're the enemy of my people and I'm going to deal with them. The sad thing is, is God's people never follows God's direction. You see, back in the day, few hundred years from this and Saul was told to wipe them out and he didn't one of the reasons Saul lost his kingdom because he didn't follow God's word related to this instruction here verse 15 back on Exodus 17 Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner. That's the name of the altar. 
The Lord is my banner. The Lord is the one to, to kind of give you the sense of it. He's built an altar. But I want to give you the kind of the sense of it'd be like a flag. I'm an American. I'm blessed to be an American. I'm proud that I'm an American. Uh, and the flag represents, and I know there's controversy and whatever. I'm not going to get into that. But there is a sense of that that represents who we are. And while I'm proud to be an American, the true banner over me is the Lord. Because He has loved me with an everlasting love. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's whose kingdom I'm looking forward to being in. And so he builds an altar. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. I want to conclude this message by simply saying this. We have seen God provide His people with water. We've seen bread and meat we've seen him fight their enemies and prevail he tells Joshua to write it in a book to remember it to remember what everybody else was to forget so I'm going to ask you we've given these little booklets, these little paper things out, to take at least one sheet, rip it out, put it in your Bible. Either the last time, and some of us have really terrible memories, or the next time, God delivers you out of a circumstance, write it down and put it in your Bible. So that the next time after that, you find yourselves in a circumstance that you feel that is overwhelming, you can say, I remember that God delivered from that circumstance. So this time, as a memorial and as a statement of faith, I'm going to see what God is going to do rather than be worried about my situation. I'm not much of a, there are some pe people who love to keep journals, and that's a wonderful thing because you can write down a number of things that God has done to bless you and to sustain you. I'm just saying, if you're not a journalist, just take a sheet of paper. And if you're not in, in our congregation and you're hearing this message through the various means that we have take a, a blank sheet of paper where you have access to it and when you see God doing something write it down as a memorial and I suspect two things I suspect it will help you get your eyes off of the circumstances and on to God. 
I also think what may happen is many, many days from now, when you're in His presence and your loved ones are thumbing through your Bible, they will see a personal testimony of what God has done for you. Not just what God has done for Israel. Not just what God has done for Joshua and Moses and Ezekiel and Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and Ruth. Not just the people in the Bible, but people that they knew. The people that they were, hopefully that they loved and said, my father's faith was genuine because he saw the hand of God in his life. And so please, please, please let you and I not be like those people who have the fifth verse, same as the first. But may we sing a new song that says, I know whom I believed. And I'm more than, I'm convinced that he's able to keep me no matter what the circumstance is. I'm going to ask the band to come and we're going to sing a little more up-tempo song for a invitation song. The name of it is This Is It because it's about Him and not me. It's about what He does in my life. It's about me remembering what He has done and that I am convinced that I will trust Him regardless of the circumstance.